Uh, so yeah, as I said, uh, today we've got uh, a guest with us who's going to take a portion of our, our message time to share a little bit about their ministry. Um, you know, we've been in this neighborhood now for 12 years, and very early on I met um, Kim's husband, Robert, who's a pastor of um, Word of Faith Church over on like 19th and Messaney, um, old big old Catholic building uh, there. It's got several buildings on its grounds, and, and met him really early on. Um, and just appreciated and admired him and the work that they were doing there. And then later got to meet uh, Kim and hear more about the um, 501c3 side of what they do there called Mid-City Excellence. And um, guys, as we've gone deeper into, you know, just life and engagement here in our neighborhood, I honestly can't think of another um, church or entity in town um, who is more... um, just in the mess of people's lives in St. Joe um, than Robert and Kim. And uh, a couple of summers ago, um, I was on sabbatical and um, had the opportunity to go over on a Sunday morning and just go to church with them and um, just kind of rekindled a conversation with them about, hey, how can we come alongside you um, here as fellow kind of mid-city folks and just kind of put some wind in your sails um, it's exhausting, the work they do, and I've been able to walk alongside and converse with Kim over the last year and a half and then seeing the exhaustion um, that goes with um, just all the challenges that, that a lot of people face in this town. So I'm super excited for you guys to get to meet her this morning and hear a little bit about, more about what they do there and how we can help them. So come on up, Kim. Thank you. God bless you. I don't get the fancy headset. <laughs> Good morning, Wellspring. What an awesome praise and worship team you all have. Y'all give it up. I am in awe. That was a free concert. Y'all get that every Sunday? I might have to sneak over, you know. (laughs) May start some problems with Word of Faith. I might have to sneak over here. That was just good to bask in the Lord's glory. I didn't know whether I should do a flip or run or last time I did the splits, I had some, whoo. You all have a wonderful ministry here, and I just want to give honor where honor is due. First, to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I know y'all think he's your daddy, but he's mine. And then to your pastor and his lovely wife, Kristen, who I went to high school with. He is an awesome man of God. When he came to Word of Faith, he jumped right in. He sat in the back and mixed in, and he was praising God. And I think he can sing. Y'all don't know this, but I think I heard a little bit. But he is a man of many gifts and talents. I just want to um, tell you all the behind-scenes work at Mid-City Excellence is tremendous. And we'll put the slide up because I have, what, 30 minutes? Just joking, just joking. <laughs> um, I struggle with time trying to cram it all um, in, in um, 24 hours. But 18 years ago, well, God called us 19, 20 years ago to Word of Faith Ministry. And my husband and I, who had to run over because we're still training the second leg or the ministry staff over there. So we had to run over and check on some things. Um, God called us and we were pastor's kids. So anytime you're a PK, this is usually the last thing you want to do. Kind of like if your dad's a dentist, you're not necessarily going to have straight teeth and you probably aren't going to go into dentistry. You may get the bug later. But we said, oh, we'll help with ushering, children's church, give me the bus ministry, anything, but don't call my husband a pastor. That's what I told God. But many of you sitting here today, we've learned how to yield to God. God's purpose and his plan. Amen. Amen. 
Amen. And I'm a better woman because of it. So 20 years ago, God called us down to the inner city. And my husband said, I know God's calling me to preach. Maybe it's Washington, D.C. I love the diversity there. Maybe it's New York. Maybe it's Atlanta. Maybe it's Cambodia. Where are we going to go? And God said clearly for three years to my husband, woke him up in the middle of the night and said, I need you. Something good comes from Nazareth. And I need you down in the hood. I need you in St. Joseph. And then I went to my mom and I was like, this couldn't be God could it? We already have a ministry here with the family church. Sometimes the Lord knows how to break up our little plan to win more. And those like the tree that wasn't producing fruit, the Lord cut it off at the roots because it was just taking up ground. And the ones that were producing, he said, I'm still going to prune you back to produce even more. And if this in this town of 75,000 people, there are hundreds of thousands of things going on that we can redirect as Christians. And so the Lord called us, we yielded to us. My mom said, how, why not you? And I said, well, I don't want people calling us in the middle of the night like they call dad. And she said, well, didn't Jesus hung blood, hand blood, hung blood and died for your sins, something like that. And I said, well, yeah, well, aren't you supposed to be inconvenienced for him? How are you going to give back to him? And I thought she was going to talk me out of it. And she told me I was designed for this and purpose for this. A lot of times God will give you something that is far greater than what you have the money for, the expertise for. Most of the people that I deal with, um, they're like me, but because maybe God wasn't in their lives, those things that happened to them, is their fixation and they can't move from that trauma. They can't move from that um, abuse, that molestation. They can't move from that death or that murder that's happening right here in our city. So I'm like the apostle, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I will give to you. And what we have is the gospel. What we have is hope. And a lot of people can't pay for that. You can't go to school for hope. You can't find your destiny in a good Harry Potter movie. Sorry, Harry Potter fans. <laughs> but some things we're looking for, um, it's really a God thing. And so we would not be there without committed prayer warriors like the Miller family and like Wellspring. We would not be there. There's many times I wanted him to talk me out of it and say, I'm just going to go to Kansas City and get a job. I'm a grant writer. I can write grants all day. And he's like, did God tell you to do that? <laughs> That's not the answer I wanted. But I praise God for the courage um, that they have helped rekindle in us when we thought we were going to give up. This is our learning center. If you go to the next slide, our mission at Mid-City Excellence is an outreach of the church because what we found out in our community um, in that 54 block midtown area, which the city deemed as slum and blighted and the highest crime, highest murders are in this 54 block area where about 5,000 people live. But um, our mission is to inspire those families to stay in school. That's academic excellence um, for successful careers and healthy lifestyles. A lot of things we do are hurting ourselves more than anybody else. It's counterproductive, and they don't even know that they have a bright future, hope, and a destiny. The Lord said before we were even born, he had plans for us to prosper, to be in good health, and to contribute something positive to this world. And then we want them to have well-balanced relationships that embrace God's love. Go to the next slide. So we went to this property. We were still in school. We were college students trying to finish our master's degree, dirt poor, eating ramen noodles. You know the story. And if you're in college, raise your hand. <laughs> you know the story. Um, some of you are out of college and say, when do the ramen noodles days end? <laughs> um, but 
He sent us here, and it was way bigger than what our little bitty one-house schoolroom church was. I'm like, I know God didn't tell you that. Ask him again. (laughs) And the Lord um, told us, not only will I give it to you, but 13 months later, he sent a donor to pay off all four buildings, and that increased our faith. Let's give God a hand. Shout glory. So, God, we went there to help those people. Those people pulled us closer to God by being attached to this mission. So we have four buildings there, the old St. Peter, St. Paul Cathedral, um, and we have the old Catholic school, the governor's mansions there. The kids come. We get to go to the mansion. I was like, it was a mansion 150 years ago, but come on in. And we have um, the convent there. The next slide talks about our intent is to help people discover their purpose and their destiny. And if we wander through life and we don't have a vision, the Bible says we perish. We have no hope, no confidence in anything. And it does us no good to ignore 5,000 people. It does us no good to say it's not on my side of town because those kids will interact with your kids on the basketball court. They'll interact with them at the mall, um, at the grocery store. They may go out to the movies with them. And when you invest into the life of your congregation and the people outside this church community, that also helps increase the value of our whole entire city. It increased property values. It increased, decreased the crime and the dropout level just by making one simple investment. The next slide talks a little bit about the programs that we have. We used to be there five and six days a week, but we have served almost 600 people last year on $65,000. I don't know how we did it, but by the grace of God, it's kind of like the five loaves of bread and the fish. God just really wants a vessel. He doesn't need smart people. It helps if you can spell, but he used Peter. Come on, guys. (laughs) It's not a hard task. God, every time I would tell God what I couldn't do, he would show me someone that was far less equipped that was doing more because they trusted in God. Um, So um, we have these programs going on now three days a week. We have support groups. Um, which is mental health, emotional health. We use Christian Christian counselors, just good old church people to come on in and love on them and say, hey, you know what? I had an abortion too when I was 16 and I'm still standing today by God's grace. You know, I was beat too, or I was the abuser. I was the one that was mad and angry at the world. My father was an alcoholic. We develop relationships with people. A lot of times they don't want to just come to church. They want to know how can God come into my home, come into my mind, come into my schoolwork, come into my family. And a lot of the work we do is out in the trenches before we even go to church. And so right now they say the stats are less than 20 or 25 percent of the people in this city are going to anyone's church. So that is thousands and thousands of people. I can hardly handle 600 with Rob and I and our list of volunteers and committed people that come in sporadically. I don't know what to do with thousands and thousands, which is why we reach out to good people like you. Um, We do some natural things. The next slide talks about the day of reconciliation for racial harmony. The church needs to take the lead on that. When everyone is talking about black and white division and racism and slavery and Jim Crow, the church needs to say, Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. And you are my brother. You're not just my neighbor down the street. You are my brother, my 
sister. I am my brother's keeper. Jesus crossed all kinds of cultural lines and racial lines and went to Samaritan women and people at the well. And we need to do that too. When you do that, you find out that you will find some gold mines even in the hood. We say something good in the hood all the time. You would find this little light that is shining at, at a homeless shelter. Some of my students are straight A's, and they have moved three and four times a year. I'm dealing with four or five girls that are prostituting, and they're in an escort service. I think I matter at the professional businessmen that um, take advantage of their poverty than anything, but I don't know who they are. All I know to do is pour into these young women so they value themselves and understand God's love and his salvation and his grace and his mercy for them. Everyone sitting here today is just one step away away from being them or from walking into your season uh, more abundantly, more than conquerors, victorious living. Amen? So the next slide talks about what can we do to help. You all are already doing it. I want you to pray, pray, pray for us that everything we can do, we're not called to do, so that we fine-tune this to not just give them tutoring and computers and crafts and arts, but that we fine-tune this mission in order to let people understand that their Redeemer lives today. And if we can do that, then I believe the Lord is going to fill in the gaps with the papers and the pencils and the bus tires that have still coming out and all that other stuff that I'm a Martha sometimes that is worried about many different things. We got any Marthas in the building? Come on, don't make me feel alone. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Marthas. So, um, but there's times where we just have to, the Lord didn't say Martha is bad. He said there is a better part. And Mary has chosen just to lay at Jesus' feet and say, what shall I render in Psalms 116 unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. The cup of salvation outside of the Sunday morning service means we take people with us and say, I'm going to a wedding. Do you want to go? I'm going to the ballroom. Would you like to go with me? I'll get you a dress. I'm going to a basketball game. Do you want to be a part of this crazy family today? Or can you come over for Sunday dinner? I'm cleaning up my closets. Just sit there and encourage me. And it's amazing how many of those people have encouraged me to push on because they are resilient. They are um, problem solvers. They just need someone to encourage them to do the other part, which is spiritual development, and that everything doesn't have to come from you. Anybody that's successful has usually had several disappointments and several failures. Just look at people that have filed bankruptcy and then our pres well, we ain't going to talk about politics. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, but praise God. Go to the next slide. So we can help in little bitty ways, and we can help in great ways. But most of the great things that are done, they start with faithful few things. And so here are our kids here. We have 579 people that we've engaged last year. Over the last 18 years, it's well over 2,000 now. I don't know what to do with all of them, but the Lord has knitted us with this community of believers for some reason. And I know one people, you know, one can ch chase a thousand by praying, but two people praying will put 10,000 demons to flight and say, I'm fighting for this family. You, not another one's going to jail. Not another one of you is dropping out. My husband has knocked on many doors, pulling women out of there that are part of our center and say, what are you doing in there? Your daddy may not be fighting for you, but I'm your daddy today. Get on this church bus. I was like, please don't let my husband get shot. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but 
but some great things have happened. We've had five ex-drug dealers give their hearts to God. And it doesn't happen with just one baptism. There's so much more that needs to happen in ministry and in discipleship and just giving people encouragement. Again, you may say, I don't have anything. But if you have a fire inside of you, you're not going to lose anything by lighting another candle. Uh Uh-oh. We got a candle, okay, by lighting another candle. So I'll end with a little song that keeps me going every day, and it says, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Thank you, Wellspring, Pastor Bob. We love you all. So one of the first conversations that, that we had was uh, just around the, um, you know, a lot of the ministries in, in this part of town subsist on, on grants uh, by organizations, corporations, and um, you can kind of become a little bit of a slave to those in terms of what they're uh, ideals are for what they want you to be, um, as opposed to maybe what God has really given you the heart and desire for. And so part of, of this uh, financial challenge they're in right now is kind of trying to get away from the dependence on grants and focus more on, um, honestly, just people in St. Joseph, other churches that value, again, I use that word a lot, that value what it is that Robert and Kim and their volunteers and church are doing and saying, hey, we, we see God moving in that, and we want to be a part of that, and we want to bless that. So that's the opportunity that we have. So if you guys are interested, there is a table just for Mid-City Excellence with envelopes that have their name on it. You can put money in there and put it in the box anytime during the Advent season. So we're going to transition a little bit into our teaching time this morning. Um, if it's your uh, first Advent season with us, but you've been in church growing up, um, that was uh, celebrated Advent as a part of your experience, and you probably know what Advent's all about. If you were like me, a kid that didn't grow up going to church at all, I'd never even heard the word Advent, um, and certainly had no clue what it meant in terms of church and, and what the story behind it was, and so I had to learn that. And so over the years, I've learned a little bit about what the church calendar means and what it is, things like Lent and, and Advent. And so Advent, first of all, comes from a Latin word, um, Adventus, which means the arrival or the approach. And so it is a, a season of preparation. So the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day where we prepare our hearts to receive the coming of the Christ child again. And like the words of the, the Christmas carol that we sing every year, Joy to the World, that says, let every heart prepare him room. So it's, it's a yearly reminder of our desperate need for a Savior. And really, it's an invitation to us. It's God saying, hey, I want you to slow down. I want you to pay attention. I want you to make room to hear me and receive me and to ultimately reject the world's narrative this time of year that says to celebrate is to consume. It's a season to set ourselves apart as a chosen people who embrace a different narrative, one that reflects the downward mobility of Jesus, who left the throne room of heaven, right? And and in scandalous humility took on skin, allowing himself to be a helpless and dependent child, God's ultimate display of vulnerability and intimacy. And so as followers of this Christ, looking at his example, we have to say, what would, what would, a, what would a Christmas celebration 
that reflects who he is and what he did, what would that look like? How would, what would it look like to celebrate Christmas in a way that honors a Savior that was downwardly mobile? That's a different perspective in the world. So in embracing Advent as a church, we stand together to say that this incarnation story, to incarnate means to take on flesh and blood. This flesh and blood story is critical to our understanding of God's love for us. We have to get what the incarnation is all about in order for us to love God more fully and to love others as well. And so this year, our study is going to focus on two titles that Jesus used to describe himself when he came and walked this earth. And those are the Son of Man and the Son of God. And we're going to talk about the implications of those titles for him and for us and what those things reveal about his dual nature as being the only person that ever came that was fully human and fully God at the same time. And so today, the next couple of weeks, we're going to begin with Son of Man. So I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Daniel, chapter 7. It's page 810. Daniel, chapter 7. The book of Daniel was completed about 530 B.C. And Daniel was a prophet of Israel uh, who was in exile in Babylon. The Babylonians came in about 605 B.C. and conquered the Israelites. And in about three different shifts, they, they brought some of the Jews to Babylon um, to be their servants um, during that time period. And so it's very hard for us to have any clue what that must have been like to be in exile. Um, if you could imagine, you know, Mexico maybe being a big, powerful country that comes into the United States, and, and as they come and conquer St. Joseph, despite our greatest efforts, right, um, that they take you and your family and march you hundreds of miles away to their country. And so you're in a foreign culture with a foreign language uh, maybe your religion, you know, you weren't able to worship as you once did. And so in that situation, and all the things kind of stripped away, the, the occupation and the job you used to have, whatever prestige you might have had in your culture is stripped away. The, the opportunities your children had to go to school or whatever those were are all gone now. And you can imagine the longing, the longing to be free for one, but the longing to go back home the longing to go back to the place that's so familiar to you. And so that's, that's the, the desperation. And so these Jewish people, they'd been in this constant state of waiting, not just in exile, but even before that. They'd been waiting for this Messiah, this promised Savior that was supposed to come that, that God had told them about. And I would imagine that they felt that longing for a Savior even more strongly in those 75 years of exile. And all the time wondering what kind of deliverer would the Savior be. So the Isaiah the prophet, writing about 150 years before Daniel, gave us a little bit of an insight, or gave the Jews a little bit of an insight of the nature of this Messiah. I'm going to read a little section from Isaiah 9. What I want you to do is just to close your eyes, and I just want you to listen and just kind of see what images come to mind for you when you hear this. So in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, he writes this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So what images came to mind when you heard that prophecy? What did you imagine as you pictured that? Just think about lunch. What are we doing here? I should never have you close your eyes again. Yes, Matthew. Yeah, a powerful king and splendor and strength and boldness. Good. Anybody else have similar images, something different than that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the total trajectory of his ministry, right? From humble baby, dependent child to returning as a conquering warrior king, right? Which one of those parts of that prophecy do you think the people of Israel were more excited about? The baby part or the king part? <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, we always go to that end. Why? Because we think that a king can do something about our situation, right? The king can ride in and conquer and overthrow these Babylonians or these Romans later on or whoever it might be in our world. What's a baby going to do for us? You know, I mean, thanks for the child that you gave us, but how long is it going to take for him to grow up and start doing something, right? And what's the obvious question on the people's hearts when they hear this in Isaiah and, and, and 150 years before, 700 B.C., the obvious question is when? <laughs> when is this child going to be born? When is this king coming to provide and, and, and do all these things? So Daniel writes further. So again, 150 years later, Daniel writes this in, in chapter 7. Start at verse 13. He says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming from the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days. And so this is Jesus approaching God and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So this is the first place in Scripture where Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man. And basically, it's just making it clear that this Savior that was going to come was, was going to be human. Okay, he was going to have skin on, just like us. And, and here's what's interesting, is that when Jesus arrives on the scene, so over 550 years after Daniel writes this, he refers to himself as Son of Man over 80 times in the Gospels. More than any other title that he used to describe himself, he used son of man again and again and again. It's a title that, that Jesus used to describe himself. And when he calls himself this, <clears throat> when he calls himself this, 
most good Jews that knew their scriptures, which were most of them, okay, it wasn't like they had a lot of books to read back then, right? This was the book. And so they knew it inside and out. And so when they heard Jesus call himself the son of man, they would have known that Jesus was claiming to be that guy in Daniel 7 who was in the presence of the father in heaven and had now come down to earth. Can you imagine what that must have sounded like coming from a poor carpenter's son from Nazareth? Hey, I'm that guy in Daniel 7 right here you've been waiting for, right? That would have been absurd to the listeners in that day. So part of Jesus' use of the title Son of Man was to align himself with Daniel's prophecy, to say, hey, guys, I'm that guy. And another reason we talked about was to reveal something about his nature. He was human. Human like you, human like me, human like every person that's ever breathed breath and life on this earth. And why is that such an important fact for us, that, that God put on flesh and became a man? Why is that such an important fact for us? It's like I'm having a staring contest. <laughs> yes, Brad. Good, good. I'm going to try to summarize all that. That was good stuff, yeah. It's what sets our, our, the miraculous parts of his birth and stuff, what's, what sets us apart, yeah. Why else is it critical that he was a man? Well, the Bible talks about how God knows what we went through, and it could be like a kind of like just magical knowledge because he's a magical being, but the scripture shows us that it's also experiential. He actually experienced what it's like to live among people's bad. Yeah, yeah. So he didn't, you know, he doesn't know what it's like to be a human just in theory. I mean, he created us, but he actually experienced our life, okay? So that, that's critical. He gets us. He gets us. He's not this aloof, distant, impersonal being up in heaven somewhere. He was a man, just like us. He came near. He endured all the same hardships, all the same realities of mankind, he gets us. The writer of Hebrews puts it like this. In Hebrews 4.15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize. Okay, I hope you understand the difference between sympathy and empathy. Okay, sympathy means I feel bad for. Empathy means I relate to. I've experienced that. So we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And guys, that is good news. <laughs> not only do we have a Savior that came to rescue us, yes, that's good news, 
but that he came as a man and gets us, that he empathizes with our weaknesses. And as a result of that truth, that he, that he gets us, look at the next verse in Hebrews 4.16. Let us then, because that's true, because he gets us, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. <laughs> we don't have to wonder whether he understands what we're going through. We don't have to pretend like we're experiencing something different that he won't be able to relate to. He knows. He knows what it's like to be human. He has come from heaven. He is God. But for our sake, he humbled himself and became a child and eventually a man to connect with us and to live the human experience, to experience the hurt of broken relationships, to know what it means to be betrayed by a friend, to experience the frustration of having to obey parents when you don't want to, to understand the pain of disease and death and the grief that comes from losing someone too soon, to experience political and military upheaval in an unjust society, the pain of watching his created children choose to invest and put, pour themselves into broken things that he knows are never going to satisfy them and to watch them give themselves over to sin. He understands that. He gets it. And we rejoice to have a Savior who understands our plight. And so today, can we just simply celebrate that? Right? We've got a lot more to learn in the next three weeks and Christmas Eve about Advent and what all that means for us. But today, I want to ask us to do this just as a beginning, <laughs> is to put aside all of our hurts, all of our desires, all of our longings that God would enter into our mess right now and whatever circumstances we're dealing with and this different reality which we had and to simply say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for choosing to come as a son of man that gets our experience here so that we can approach your throne, Father with confidence that you're here to help us, that you're an advocate who is for us. Let us not take that for granted. That truth alone is worth celebrating. Guys, long before the cross, long before Jesus' body was laid in a tomb, and then long before he was resurrected and did anything for us to save us, he came. And John... And in that poetic beginning of John chapter 1, in verse 14, a verse you guys have heard before, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We beheld the glory. We saw it. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Guys, for a people who in the Old Testament, when God spoke to them, said, you cannot look on me or else you will die. To behold that God in a manger was a game changer. It was unbelievable that that God, that they couldn't even say their name, his name, out loud. To now all of a sudden I can touch him, I can walk with him, I can do life with him, he can hug me and care for me. Guys, we need to celebrate that alone today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We don't understand. (laughs) 
We don't understand your love for us near enough. We don't understand the inconvenience of leaving the comforts of heaven, surrounded by, by angels worshiping you, attending to your needs day in, day out, to take all of that off and to allow yourself to come and to be born to two peasant teenagers in this cold and cruel world that we live in so that you can identify with us, God, so that you could you count yourself among us. God, I know that there are things in our life that we want to change, ways we wish life could be different. But Lord, sometimes we just have to come back to just gratitude and understand the gift that's been given to us. Before you even did anything to really change our eternal condition, you came. God, let us sit in that truth this Advent season. You're here. You're with us. You're not some commander back on the hill telling the soldiers down in the trenches what to do. You're in the trenches. And we love you for that. And we worship you for that. We praise you today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.